Hello Retro Gamers, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, many greetings today because for the first time in our podcast we actually have guests and they come from very different time zones. So I'm proud to present to you Alex from Germany. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Who is, by the way, also the developer of the game we're going to talk about later today, which is Flight of the Pigaroos. And we also have Mark from the USA. Hi, Mark. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Good. I hope you're all doing well. And then, of course, there is also Andy. Yeah, how you doing? I'm here. I'm here. Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming. And pleasure to have you, Kit. Um, obviously, Kit's from Retro Asylum as well. So... He listens to all the podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I do like my podcast. That is true. <laughs> so should we call you Kit rather than Mark? Uh, either is fine. Yeah, I go by both. <laughs> okay. All right. So, Andy, maybe would you like to share some, some news, some gaming news? I think you have something interesting to tell today definitely talks about some games so i've been i've been playing some games and i've been looking at some games one of the ones i've had a look at is called dicing with death on the c64 i don't know if you've guys seen it um this game is uh, like a dungeon crawler for the commodore 64 and it's um, quite unique in how it presents itself you kind of move in this map and there's a room for each area of the map and when you land in that room, there either is a, an enemy or there is a, a treasure chest. And if there is a treasure chest, you press the, the action button and you get it. Otherwise, you have a battle with the enemy, if there's an enemy. And the battle is conducted with some dice that roll. And it's very, very simple. So if you've got a higher score than the enemy, then uh, he gets hit and vice versa. You get hit and, use your, and you lose your energy and die. I just thought it was a pretty neat little idea that they've um, made up there and I don't know if you guys tried it if you have um, any opinions on it but it was pretty cool for me I looked at it um, I looked at it but it yeah it, it, it kind of looks like a tabletop game is that right made for the c64 is that kind of how it comes across yeah I suppose yeah I suppose that that's the the aim of it and I thought I, I to be fair I played it and I thought this is not going to amount to much but then I found myself so I put this on a retro console a small one and I found myself keeping on playing and going to another room, another room. And also because you explore the little map, I thought, oh, that's quite nice. Uh, yeah, I, it's just a mention, to be honest. And then, I don't know if you guys are aware, but there's more footage of the uh, return to, the mon to Monkey Island, which is really, really exciting. And I've seen it. I am always dubious about the characters, but it looks quite cool. I don't know. Have you guys had a look at that? I did, and I've already noticed that there are mixed feelings about it on the web. I don't know who else here has seen it, but the, the graphic is very unique. The look is very unique. It doesn't look at all like the original ones uh, of 30 years ago about. So they're not pixel graphic. They're very modern, a little bit cartoonish. And now it's quite difficult for me to describe that kind of style uh, I'm not sure if, even if it has a name of its own, 
but it's a style that I've seen before with uh, uh, it's very two-dimensional first of all in my opinion the characters look quite flat and uh, a bit cartoonish but with a sleek and uh, possibly gritty tone so to speak but really it's difficult to, for me to put this down in words uh, you you have to see you have to see the look of it and now there's this uh, this um, short trailer about the gameplay as well but if you have seen the the presentation trailer that's pretty much also how the gameplay is going to look like so I think it's going to give you a very uh, seamless feeling to go from whatever will be the opening scene and the cutscenes in the middle and uh, the gameplay itself, which I think is a very good idea. And it all looks a little bit like watching a, a cartoon. So for me, I, I've never been huge into point and clicks just because I didn't really play them as kids um, here in the States. I mean, a lot of people did it just didn't pass by. So we, in, in Retro Asylum, the game club, just a few months back, we played Day of the Tentacle. Um, and that was really my first dive into a point-and-click adventure. And um, I, I I don't quite understand the hate this game's getting, <laughs> this new <laughs> one, because I think it looks awesome. Um, you know, it looks just like a modern-day version of these classic point-and-clicks. So... For me, um, now that I've at least played one and, and really enjoyed it, if I'm honest, I'm I'm probably going to be day one on this game. I'll probably buy it as soon as it comes out. Oh, don't get me wrong. I will I will for sure as well. But I have reservations because it looks a bit like a Flash game. If you watch the new footage where there's the judge, uh, his head moves, it, it, it like stretches and shrinks. It's like a Flash. I don't know why they did it like this. but I got the same feeling too. I, the first thing I thought is this could have been written in Flash. But um, I think it's a conscious choice from a, from a style point of view. And that's where, of course, people have different opinions. But um, yeah. I, I agree that also I had the same thought. Well, we'll see. Definitely very different from the website. So I don't know if you guys spent some time on their website now. It is really, really, really cool. So they've remade a scene in, uh, that, well, they, they made up a scene like it was an adventure game. And you can ask the questions to Stan. I don't know I'm, I'm, I don't know if you've played this, uh, if you've seen Stan, he sells the boats. So I know you played the Day of the Tentacle Mark, but... Um, in Monkey Island, Dan Dan sells boats, if I recall correctly, and he chats a lot. And if you if you look at their website, it's just amazing. So they've made these two characters in a prison, and one is Stan, and you can talk to him. And I've been on the website for like probably fifteen minutes, clicking all the options that you can do to click. It looks like an adventure game on the web. Really well done. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. I was actually confused. <laughs> But that's also because I also never really played point and click adventures. So I was like, what am I doing here? As I was trying to look at the, uh, try to find the new, the new clip that was released, but um, it's, it's pretty clever. Yes. That's something I'm really looking forward to. And then I had a look at another game that is um, on Kickstarter called Black Jewel Reborn. It's a hack and slash. It's very similar to Golden Axe. And it seems like it, you, you can use two characters and you have different spells like um, like Golden Axe. So based on the character, you have a special ability. I think it looks great. 
I'm not sure if it's very innovative from gameplay, but I am very eager to see it. I think it also, um, if I remember right, the game you're talking about, I think it also looked a lot like Ghosts and Goblins to me. It has, it has a little bit of horror elements in the in the scenery, in the monsters, and it probably also plays quite a lot like all the, uh, like uh, Ghosts and Goblins, but with this addition that you mentioned with different characters having different abilities. That was not clearly in, in the old Ghost and Goblins game. Yeah. But it's a Genesis game, right? It's for yes. Sega Genesis. That, yeah, that's promising because recently, I think that's the console that has caught my attention most among all the ones that we have been trying to cover and or discover. And... Uh, I think that that there are a lot of people developing game for the Genesis nowadays, and lots of games coming out. So let's hope this one's a good one as well. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of uh, Rastan. Have you guys ever played Rastan? In yeah, the arcade yeah, yeah. In the arcade, really, uh, yeah. Master System. It's really gr- it's great on the Master System as well. So yeah, yeah. I, I thought it looked cool. I think I think they make uh, it's easier. So I. Uh, talking to a developer from uh, one of the past episodes, um, Dotty Dreadnought, he was saying that you know developing for the the Sega Master, uh, sorry, the Sega Genesis is much much easier than developing for some other platforms such as the SNES, and so that's why the Genesis gets a lot of love because it's not as difficult to make games for it. Yeah, good point. That's a very yeah. good point. Must be the processor. The 68,000 is pretty common in, amongst computers and everything, right? No, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Didn't consider that. Um, and then I had a look at another thing that I was quite interested in, especially because I am wondering with new cartridges coming out, how, well, I suppose nowadays you can uh, preserve that content differently because it generates from a different place. But if you want to dump some cartridges nowadays, it is quite hard without a PC and then you've got to have a, an EEPROM dumper. I don't know exactly how it works, but someone in Japan has made an awesome machine called, in fact, Save the Hero. And this is a machine that you can plug cartridges in. It doesn't require a PC. It has, it has a little screen and a little switch to uh, switch um, between the options. And it can dump cartridges from the SNES, the Genesis, Nintendo 64, Game Boy, which is advanced, advanced color and the normal one. And it got, it's got planned to update the firmware to allow the NES and some other, and some other platforms. So it's an all-in-one solution. It's a bit pricey, but I think it's great to be able to dump all those stuff. And it's a great step forward into preservation, I think. Yeah, this is something that I have friends that are into, um, dumping cartridges. I've never done it, so... I mean, I guess it makes sense, and and it's neat that there's products out there that allow you to do that, so that you can back these up, you know. So, um, f- for me personally, I mean, I, my preservation is just play them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I love, I love that they're out there that we can do that. So that's neat. But you have them all, Mark. <laughs> you have every game. Yeah. <laughs> so, now they're all gone. They're all gone. <laughs> they're, they're, a lot of them. Well, I'm going to say that, you know, Diego's given me um, back in the day his Amiga and a lot of discs and I dumped them all at the time because who's going to find now if I want to play or if I want to use charts and graphs for the Amiga, no one's going to have that. I've got it dumped from the original discs. Wow. There you go. (laughs) 
Alright, anyways, in other news here, I've uh, found another game called Boss for the Atari 2600, which uh, is very, very cool, especially, I know the Atari 2600 doesn't have a great graphics chip and and doesn't really you know, match up to today's standards at all, but as we've seen previously in um, um, Cheesy Trials, even if you've got a machine that's not so great, if the game is great, you can still get hooked. And I think this might be the case with this game as well. Boss is a game that is like a shooter, but it focuses mainly on battling against the final bosses. Why did I pick this game? Why did I find it? Well, in one of our previous episodes, Sam Malad, we talked to developer Ursh. He has made also a game on the Game Boy that we might look up later on called Dangan. And it is the same concept, but on the Game Boy. So it's just confronting the last enemies and you just battle them continuously one after the other and they get increasingly difficult. So he's done that on the Game Boy and I saw this on Indiegogo for the Atari 2600 and I thought it's exactly the same and it might be really fun now on the Atari because it just it's just a focus on a different monster. Clearly the monsters are drawn with the Atari 2600's capabilities. But it does look quite entertaining, so I'm looking forward to that as well. Do you, I mean, do you guys? Did you guys get a lot of action over there on the 2600? I know it was over there, but did you guys have any experience or see it when you were kids? Well, when I was a kid, yes. Uh, one of my neighbors used to have it, and I used to go and play with it. And even at the time, I thought it was horrible. <laughs> but but it's a good platform, yeah. I guess. You know, there's some good games on it. How about you, Diego? Uh, pretty much exactly the same. I also had a neighbor, different one, but uh, um, uh, her her dad actually had this uh, Atari 2600, and I think that was pretty much my very first experience in uh, in playing a video game at all. And um, yeah, I, I think at that time it seemed huge to me. I've never seen something as uh, controlling something on the screen of the television, and uh, it literally blew my mind. I think I was still in kindergarten back then, so pretty young. But um, nowadays, I must say it looks very dated, and um, uh, I think it's challenging to make good games for that. It It hasn't aged very well, in my opinion. But at the same time, I think the keys to all video games is the playability at the end so even if it looks bad on the screen if it plays well then it it can be a success anyway so that that's all it boils down to me really so there's a there's a possibility also for this kind of very very old computer to get to get some good titles yeah i agree i mean i i think the combat the game that it came with it was packed i mean that game's brilliant if you guys have ever tr- played that it's just a tank and you can battle to you know yes sit down co-op and it, i mean i've had so much fun with that even in recent years opposed to when i was a kid but yeah i, I was kind of curious on your guys's uh, involvement with that because as we get into the master system later um I mean, you guys know here in the States, the master system was non-existent. <laughs> it was here, but almost nobody knew one, or the one weird kid down the street had one. But um, yeah, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, uh, was that combat um, built in with the console? Do you remember? No, it was a separate cartridge. Okay, but it came bundled 
with the console or something like that because I I think eventually I knew more or less four or five people with the Atari back then all together and they all seem to have this game and uh, yes I remember playing it too and if I remember right is what it was even uh, two players only perhaps yes yes which it's something that I sometimes find interesting because uh, most of the games are one player only and having a two player option or multiplayer option is sometimes well a luxury in the sense that the developer has to put more effort usually that's how I typically think about it but then I see that the Atari had a lot of two player games and perhaps it's because at that time it might have been more difficult to make a one-player game if you had to kind of program the behavior of the computer against you. So I think like combat, it's not a shoot em up There is literally, for those who don't know, there is literally two tanks in a field with some obstacles and the two tanks are trying to shoot each other navigating around the obstacles or hiding behind the obstacles sometimes. And in a game like that, two-player is probably so much easier to develop because you don't have to worry about how should the opponent behave. It's the player who provide the non-artificial intelligence, so to speak, and maybe making uh, the computer play that game would be more difficult. I agree. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it definitely would be 100%. And that's why you had games like Breakout, you know, where it was, or Space Invaders, where the things were just dropping and, you know, you, you didn't have to program the AI, so to speak, is kind of what you're getting at. Yeah, that that's true. One single player would be much more hard to develop, I think, back then. Then at the same time, when you play with a friend, of course, that fun multiplies also. Yes. Totally. Uh, since Alex is here, I will ask him as well, you know, how was the 2600 in in Germany and the SM, the Sega Master System in Germany. Yeah, that's actually an interesting story because um, the the Atari Twenty Six Hundred was actually uh, the console uh, I wanted to have as a kid uh, because when I was small, because I was totally fascinated with with uh, video games or the early ones. At, at least you could, uh, if, if there was an arcade machine in uh, in the lobby of a restaurant or or something you just could park me in front of it and I would watch the attract mode over and over and um, so I think in in it was 1987 uh, that I put a, a Atari 2600 on my Christmas wish list that year but my mom and dad instead gave me a Sega Master System and um, I think I lucked out there <laughs> actually <laughs> Yeah, I so. would have been yeah, perfectly I would say happy so, with yeah. the Atari at that point, but uh, the Sega Master System became uh, my first console and the one I uh, love to this day. And I actually have the same machine still around and it works like uh, on day one. And um, uh, interestingly here, uh, the the uh, situation was uh, the exact opposite of what uh, Mark described because I knew like three other kids uh, who had a Sega Master System, but not one with an NES. And that's, and that's why, this is what's fascinated me about European gaming. I, I came across 
retro asylum in 2018. And so, um, it was one of these things where I, I dove into, you know, the history of the U S stuff as I was collecting and learning in the early two thousands. And then I uh, probably 2008, 2009, I started importing things from Japan and learning about that stuff. And then 2018 came along. I was kind of getting bored, I guess, if you'd say, and, and learning about you guys getting the master system. And it was, it was huge as well as the, um, you know, you're, you're listening to your schoolyard bickering between the spectrum and the Commodore and the Amstrad and it, it, that stuff, it's fascinating to me. And so since then I've just, I've learned and just soaked it up and I love it. I, I think the culture of gaming, especially retro gaming is really neat. Um, these days to kind of go back and really see the unique parallels between the different countries that they were a part of. And so it's, it's great. It's great. Yeah. I knew, I knew one person with the master system. I mean, and, and I remember going and I think I played, I think it was, um, how it was the snail game, little snail maze. It was like built into the master system. Yeah. That was the built one. Yeah. Okay, so, and I remember looking, and I'm looking at the controller, I'm like, why is this black Nintendo controller? (laughs) But I was so, I was really confused back then. So, um, but it's, it's, it's pretty cool to, to learn and, and and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm excited to, you know, to be here and kind of looking and learning and growing. So it's kind of neat. Something on the tail of what just Alex said, uh, he said he saw it in in the lobby of a restaurant, and this is a thing that we had in Italy. So we were going to eat a pizza, and when you eat the pizza, there is there was used to be an arcade there, and or two, and you used to play. And exactly like Alex said, I used to go there and watch the what's it called the attract mode over and over again until someone came and played because I didn't I was so small I didn't have any coins at the time. Uh, and watch that. And I'm curious, did that happen in the US? Were they like venues where you went to eat and then they had so arcade for, inside? I mean, for us, we didn't. I mean, there was the, I'm sure you guys have all heard the stories of like Showtime pizza and, and, you know, actually the founder of Atari, you know, made, um, oh my gosh, I think it's Showtime pizza. But yeah, there were specific pizza places. Uh, the pizza was absolutely terrible. I can't imagine, especially uh, putting it up next to Italian <laughs> pizza. But it was it was more for the kids to run around and spend money on video games and eat terrible pizza. But as far as like regular restaurants, sit down, no. I mean, we would have arcade machines in uh, gas stations, like 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 Seven oh, Eleven. You'd odd. go get you a Slurpee that- and play some. Uh, like Pac-Man, it might have been more in like the late '80s, kind of as arcades were dying out um, for us. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. So you would you would like fuel up the, your your car and while <laughs> yeah, your I car is so. fueling, you I was too young to have a car back then, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. That's just incredible. Incredible. Okay. Oh, it's it's nice. It's nice to learn all this sort of stuff. I, I had no idea, see, uh, but I, I didn't even know Germany had a similar culture. Let's say obviously probably more similar than the US, I'm guessing, just for from distance, from a distance pers- perspective. But um, at least, it, it, you know, they, they've got like a, a restaurant lobby and we, we, we've been to Pizzeria. We used to have those but also in the restaurants, but not not as common, probably. 
Okay, so let's just move move on a little bit. Um, I've been playing as well Gato Roboto. I don't know if you if you guys ever heard it. I, I've been playing it because it looks like a ZX Spectrum game, and it's very very cool. So it's like a this is this game is not a new game on an old platform. This is a Steam game, but it looks from the Spectrum, and it plays like the Spectrum. And I think, and I have been told by the developer of uh, NRTS that you'll you'll hear about in the next episode that. It can be done in on the ZX Spectrum. So I've asked this developer if he can do it because it's an awesome game where you, you drive a cat and the cat goes in a mecha bot and becomes its head and moves around with a mecha bot. But at any time, you can exit the bot, the robot, and, and be a cat again. Or you can go in your bot suit and, and pilot a robot. It's amazing. I, I highly recommend. Other than that, Diego, what have you been up to in... Uh, in these few few weeks well not much interesting stuff related to computers i think i wasn't particularly lucky with those uh, um say community made updates to games that i was supposed to look out for and investigate i still have to play that uh temple of elemental evil game i mentioned last time ah uh, yes and it, it came with all these patches and uh, upgrades, but I, I had troubles using them, to be honest. So I don't, I don't want to say anything uh, bad about these updates because it could be just something wrong with me or my, my PC. But I wasn't even able to get um, a better resolution. It was supposed to be very, very easy to just get the game to show up in widescreen instead of the original 4-3 aspect ratio, but it didn't work for me, even following their instructions. So let's maybe talk about that another time. Other than that, I think I didn't have time for much gaming. We we I had rather social a social week for that I hadn't had for a long time. Yeah, I went to some rock concerts. Who's uh, who's? Oh, well, it was Deep Purple. Oh. Don't know if you fancy. like the type. The type. Very, very classic 70s rock. Well, I would say this is possibly as classic as it gets. Uh, together with Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, these were like the big bands of the 70s. And I have developed now uh, my sort of plan to like check as many of these bands as possible check them out while they're still gigging and i must say if you like the the genre of course because that's of course uh, necessary to enjoy this sort of concerts these people they are aged but they know how to play their music they know how to put out a really awesome gig they they really feel the atmosphere. They're powerful and everything. And even, to be honest, even the, the lesser bands, the, the support bands, they, they had Uriah Heap, also from the UK, and they had Accept from uh, Germany. That's a little bit too heavy metal for my tastes, but they could hold the stage really well. And you, you could see that they are not exactly youngsters, but they're still really full of energy. I was awesome. I was really happy to go there, obviously with friends, and uh, I think I, I'm already checking out what other famous bands are playing around here in the next year or so. 
Other than that, well, maybe something slightly more related, not to gaming, but let's say to our general topics. Uh, there was a Star Wars exhibit around here, but that was a bit underwhelming in my opinion. It's uh, It was mostly movie props uh, and not even the original ones that were used in the movies. Yes, a, a very small number were the original ones. The other were just recreations of the original, faithful as they could, but it mostly looked like you know, character costumes and some vehicles and that's okay, but maybe not the kind of thing for me, really. But but uh, I think I was just happy to see some people because yeah, I feel like I've been living in a, in a cave for the last couple of years, so everything feels good at this point. So I was going to ask as well, Kit, what, what what have you been doing? I know you're you're closed in right now. Yeah, my my entire family got COVID. This is the first time. Well, I'll, I want to say it's the first time. My five year old got it back in January, but this is the first time we've gotten it, and we haven't really. I mean, we've social distance in that, but we haven't been crazy about it. So it's it's been weird. But yeah, we ha- we all got it except me. So apparently, I've got super uh, immune system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, finally everybody's kind of on the up and up. Um, and oh, so that's good to hear. So for me, that you know, I, I've been man, I haven't had this many days off since I I don't know how many years. So I I got I pulled out my flash cartridges and started um, getting them updated and getting things put together. Partly, you know, with playing this game that we're going to be talking about, I wanted to try it on the Mister as well as my uh, flash cartridge for the Master System because I wanted to try it on both, and um, that was. You know, I got to do that last weekend. It was a lot of fun. So yeah, that, that's mostly what I've been up to is kind of putting together these endless flash cartridges and things <laughs> that I've had for a while. That's a big job to do. I know I've I've done three and it took me half a day just to do three. And if you do more than that, it's too much, too much. Yeah, it takes a lot. Of, it does take a lot of time, you know? Yeah, 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 it does. It does. Oh my God. And then you have to configure them all and then test them all. And then maybe you don't play them anymore. <laughs> that's right. And then put them back on the shelf. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. Well, yeah. What, what, have you been, what have you been up to? I've tidied up my garage and I found lots of stuff that I had forgotten. I bought <laughs> a bit on the, on the data of what you said. And then I started doing um, an inventory. I'm using the 5160, the IBM 5160 that I bought to... In- inventorize is a verb in english i don't know to inventorize (laughs) okay to inventorize all my components that i've got so i've been repairing lots of old machines and i've built as as i i mentioned previously in other episodes a spectrum from scratch i've got all these components um lying around everywhere i've got components for the commodore 64 and loads and loads of um, capacitors for televisions that I've repaired and I have um, some of them I've done recaps and some of them I've not the ones I've not done recaps for I've got all the all those capacitors uh, lying around so I started to group them all together by tolerance by capacity all that sort of stuff very boring and I thought what better use could my 5160 have than be my inventory node hub 
And so I go there and I've installed was DBase 3. I don't know if you guys remember from the 1980s, DBase 1, 2, 3. It's a very, very simple database thing. Uh, so you, instead of using tables, you use files, and then you say use file, and it becomes a table, and you can do very basic queries. Um, but it's fantastic. It just gives me that so that fuzzy feel when I when I look for a transistor. Have I got this Z, ZTX313? So I just go on display all, <laughs> and I get a list, and I just, yeah, it's just, just great feeling. At least I use it, and I, I like it. And I'm going to use it as well for one of the episodes in the future. So yeah, that, that's what I've been up to. Nothing more. I've received those transistors that came, but I think there's a fault in the design of the motherboard from PAB where the power supply circuit isn't uh, exactly right, so it can have some instabilities. So I'm going to Italy Monday, uh, next Monday, and I am going to try and fix it with my dad because he likes doing these things with me and vice versa. So we'll spend a bit of time trying to re reconfigure the the layout of the components to match the new supply power supply system i don't know i don't know if it makes any sense might be super boring might cut it i don't know <laughs> well I, I, that's super nerdy making a database on the old 5160 wow but it's awesome <laughs> it's just, awesome just plugging that sucker into excel ah, we'll pull out the old 5160 and start doing some yeah wow that's that's impressive. That's, that's awesome stuff. I love it. I love it. Right. I know, Diego, I knew you've been to an Asian market, but you didn't tell me about it. So I'm not, I'm not sure if you want to. Oh, no. yeah. Well, there's <laughs> not really much to tell. No, I think it was you with all your talking about snacks that made me just remember that we have an Asian, small Asian food market, actually, in in the center of the city where they sell a lot of these snacks and not just snacks and ingredients and everything related to food really from uh, quite a bunch of different country in asia japan china thailand and so on the usual thing that probably people from those countries go there and visit regularly and get their favorites but you know for me going in that place it's like uh, an, ad an adventure of its own because 90% of the things they have there, I have absolutely no idea what they are. Is that meat? Is that vegetable, fish? I have no idea. If, even though I have a very, very basic understanding of the Japanese language and it might even help with some of the kanji in, in the Chinese, on the Chinese boxes, they are the same, the kanjis. But... Uh, uh, it's a little bit of an adventure, and then of course I bought myself some snacks, not knowing ex exactly what they are. Now I think that I, I went on the safe side. I, I got some uh, of these uh, mochi. Do you know about them? You've lived in Japan for years, so you you definitely should know about them. I love mochi, and uh, I, well, for those who don't know, they are small sweet treats made of uh, rice flour i suppose that they are soft shaped like a small uh, bowl they're very very soft they're kind of jelly as a matter of fact not very sweet because it's just basically rice flour with with some flavoring and and they have all these very strange 
flavors, at least from the point of view of a European, all of these are strange. There is tea flavored, there is red beans flavor, sesame flavored. So I, I got myself a few of these flavors, one of which I absolutely don't know what it is. It's purple. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it it's purple. a azuki, azuki. That's that would be azuki or see. It's beans. Oh, okay. Sweet okay, beans. another kind of beans. All right. Yeah, that that's I'm fine with with beans. That was let's say my 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 risky choice. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I for some reason I'm I'm a fan of uh, especially the Japanese snacks really. They are they look so strange and they hold always have this uh, weird but nice looking packaging with lots of manga characters or something similar. So they look nice and usually they also taste quite good. And that was it. Yeah. Not... So for all the British li- listeners here uh, and that like Mochi, I found him, I think it's in Morrison's, but I saw in the co-op and this is an advertisement. No, it's not. Um, they they have Mochi with ice cream in and they're gorgeous. They're called Moons. Look them out because they're, no, check them out. They're really good. They're really good. I love them. They're a bit expensive, but they're good. Sorry. Um, so on on this topic, I just thought since we're here in a multicultural environment, Mark, if you had two snacks that you would suggest us try from the US, one savory and one sweet, what would you pick? Oh wow, um, man, put me on the spot like that. Well, hang on. So before you answer, I'm going to ask this to Alex afterwards as well. So I won't put him on the spot. I'll, I'll give him a heads up. <laughs> yep. Okay. Sweet and savory. Oh, that's a great question. Man, you really got me. I would say, I mean, I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm from the States, so we love our peanut butter. I don't know if you guys, is peanut butter a thing over there? You're not going to give me a, a jar of peanut butter now, are you? <laughs> <That's a snack. laughs> no, we, we have a, um, we have a chocolate called Reese's peanut butter cups. Oh, I think, I think it's over here as well. I think Reese's, I've, I've, doesn't, it rings a bell. Yeah, so it's probably not as popular, but yeah, I love I love me some Reese's peanut butter cups. Our our chocolate here in the states is the worst. Why? It's the worst. I don't know. It's I, I've had chocolate from all over the place, and the ones that, anything that's made here is terrible. So I still eat it, but um, but I do love the peanut butter cups. Those are probably amongst my favorite i mean i love a kit kat but man the japanese kit kats are insane they have so many of them oh you're right <laughs> forgot about that yeah they have all flavors don't they yes yep um savory god i you know um you're not gonna say doritos no <laughs> i should huh you know i i love salt and vinegar potato chips is that a thing <laughs> oh that's british <laughs> yeah is that- i thought so that's okay. British. Oh well, thank you. I mean, that's, that's, uh, the, the, I mean, that's. I mean, those are. Yeah, my. I've only gotten one of my kids to really enjoy them. Everybody else hates <laughs> them. Um, those are. I mean, that's two of my favorite. Two of my favorite things I snack on. I guess. Cool. All right. Uh, I, I, I say I probably don't know if I can try Reese's, but I'm. I've already had the crisps. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Alex, what what would you suggest from Germany? Some typical German. One sweet and one sour, it's not sour, savory, sorry, um, salty snack. 
I don't know if there are any particular uh, German snacks, at least not uh, ones I would recommend to anyone. Um, <laughs> uh, I think the most... The, the best known is probably uh, this uh, stuff you put on your bread. It's called Nutella, but I think it's owned by an Italian company. That's now. Italian. <laughs> I thought you were going to say peanut butter then. <laughs> but um, maybe as a sweet snack, um, I'd recommend Ahoy Brause. It's, it's a fizzy powder you put in, in a glass of water and uh, then it uh, becomes a, um, a sort of lemonade or something. And um, I think that's pretty German. I... Um, can't think of a of a salty snack uh, right now. Sorry. That's all right. No worries. No worries. So I think we have something similar here called sherbet. Is that sherbet? If you put it in the water, I, I think it is something like that. Yes. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a it's a powder. You kind of add it to a bottle of water. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We we have some things like that here. As I mean, <laughs> and they're good. They're, they're good. I, I just I'd, I mean yeah. I've, everyone I've tried, I'm like oh they make grape and cherry and you know, lemonade, different, different flavors, but, um, you know, yeah, I'm always, I'm always down for stuff like that. Well, we have some pretz, small pretzels here. I'm not sure if they're German, but they have small bags of pretzels. So there you go. But do you mean they're the small hard ones or? They're like, uh, something that we call in Italian salatini, like, uh, small. So the, the tiny ones. Yeah. Tiny pretzels All and right, they've yeah. got salt in them. Mm. I thought yeah, they were the, German. Yeah, I, I was about to say, to ask Alex how common it is in, in Germany to, to eat pretzels because that's my favorite thing from Lidl, for example. Everything, I just almost just go there for pretzels and, and very little else. Well, if you mean the, the, the bigger ones you, you buy at a bakery, um, they're a thing in the south of Germany and uh, they're pretty common there but not in the north. And um, if you're talking about those uh, really small ones you, you eat while you're watching TV, um, yeah, you get them everywhere, but they're not exactly a typical thing here. Mm, yeah, I would have guessed that. But yes, I was talking about the real ones, the bakery ones. So I, I have never seen them in Italy, but I suppose that nowadays Lidl also sell them in Italy. But... Uh, Maybe you don't know, but I am actually located in Finland rather than Italy. And here, Lidl's do have the real ones, the big ones. And I just love them. So <laughs> just want, wanted to mention that that's my favorite German snack. And my kids as well. So there you go. Germany for the pretzels. Love them. So it's a bit stereotypical, but, you know, sorry. What about What about from the UK? What do you got? Oh, oh yeah. I, I keep forgetting. Um, yeah, from the UK. I um, So, a salty snack from the UK, I would say Jacob's Puffs Crackers. And here's go some more advertising for free. Um, those are like, they're like water crackers, but they're puffed up and they just melt in your mouth. They're really good. But it, Britain is very renowned for having all sorts of uh, crisps. So they have like naan crisps that are not really crisps, they're naan, but small naans uh, from India kind of thing. And uh, then they have, well, they have loads of loads. They have beefy balls. I love beefy balls. <laughs> 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 and then they have, um, 
Uh, that's real, by the way. It's not a joke. It's real. They, they, they do exist. <laughs> I was trying not to laugh, but yeah, yeah, so. I love beefy balls. And um, and then they have uh, all sorts, really, really all sorts of chips and crisps. It's incredible. So I just have to lean on. Oh, there's some really good plant-based crisps, which sounds a bit silly, but they don't have any milk or powders on them. They're called cheeses, and they they really taste of cheese, but they're not made of cheese. And they taste really amazing. I think they're made by a, a couple in in, um, in Britain that are really famous called Bosch, but I might I might be wrong. And even on the on the sweet side, Britain has got it for you. He's they've got everything. You know, literally maybe not the not the powder, but they've got sherbets. Um, maybe that's where you could try sherbets. What's really unique? I've tasted here that I haven't tasted anywhere else. I can't think of anything. Ginger nuts, because they I've never seen those in Italy. I don't know if you guys have them in the US, supposedly. And not in Germany, probably. I don't know. But ginger I mean, biscuits. we have something called ginger snaps. But Yeah, that works. Yeah, they're, yeah, little, uh, they're kind of hard little, yeah. little uh, biscuits, cookies. Yeah. Yep. Oh, wait. Jammy Dodgers. No one's got jammy Dodgers. Never heard of that. No, they're biscuits with mal- with uh, jam inside. Oh, okay. Wow. There you go. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. We're no, very that, culture, that made... cultured here. That's great. Yeah, it's great. I think so. Um, right. Okay. It's time. I think it's time to move on to the main topic of the podcast, which is Alex's brilliant game. Flight of Pigarus. I think Diego is the one for the presentation. Well, yes, I'll be brief because I think that the aim of the game is pretty clear in this case. Flight of the Pigarus, made by Alex, is essentially a shoot 'em up or maybe what uh, you might call a caravan shooter. So it's a shoot 'em up game with a time limit. You are battling against time to essentially make your score as high as possible for as we have already mentioned for the Sega Master System. It's a single-player shooter with a twist in the theme because unlike the usual flying vehicles, spaceship, helicopter, airplane, whatever, in this case, your character is a flying pig. Hence the name Pigarus, uh, which it's quite clearly a tongue-in-cheek joke with Icarus, right? <laughs> but in the shape of a flying pig in this case. And you are battling uh, also enemies that are farm themed. So there's cows, there's uh, birds, not all of them. There's also some stars and other um, unusual, sh- unusually shaped enemies, I would say. I'm not exactly sure what they what they are. So I think it's a it's a very classic shoot 'em up game. So you got a series of possible power-ups that you can collect to make your life easier. And as a matter of fact, you only have one life, right? So you better make make it as easy as possible to to last until the end. And I actually forgot to mention that in general, this is also a vertically scrolling shooter. So just to give the ideas to those who haven't tried it yet. So Alex 
we have lots of, of questions for you, I think. Ask away. The simplest but provocative question. Why did you make a caravan shooter? And why for the Sega Master System, even if I kind of probably already guess what's going to be that answer? Yeah, well, the, the, the reason why I chose to uh, make a caravan shooter is just uh, because it made the whole product, uh, project uh, much more manageable. You know, I do everything myself. I do the coding, I do the graphics, and I do the music. And um, uh, there's no way I could have finished it uh, if it was a regular shooter with like seven stages or something. And... Um, it took me uh, two and a half years to um, develop this uh, for a maximum of uh, five minutes of gameplay. So um, you can guess the scope it would have if, if I went for a full-fledged uh, shooting game. So uh, Caravan Shooter was um, an obvious choice and I think it works pretty well. And um, the other reason why I did this is um, I uh, developed my games for the Sega Master System um, and um, I like to uh, make games that are, whose genres are uh, underrepresented on the system. Uh, so my, my uh, previous game before Flight of Pigarus uh, was one that... Um, was a single screen platformer, you know, like Bubble Bobble or um, Don Dokodon or Fairyland Story or Rotland. And uh, there's only uh, one on the Sega Master System. Uh, it's a great port of Bubble Bobble, but um, uh, there are no others. And I thought it uh, deserved more. Uh, and so um, while the system has a couple of uh, really good uh, shooting games, uh, it didn't have a caravan shooter and since uh, the NES had uh, one in the form of Blade Buster I thought uh, I should do something about it. So for uh, for me I just wanted to put in my quick comments of this game. I am a huge fan of shooters or sh I always call them shooters. I hate I hate the word um <laughs> shmups. I hate that. I I always like shooter. That's that's just how I was raised. So I love shooters. And um, I've owned a few of these caravan games um, in my personal collection. I had one on the Turbo Graphics called Summer, Summer Carnival '92. It's very similar, has similar kind of play. But I, I wanted to say, as a fan of shooters, personally, I I couldn't believe how um, smooth the game was. There was no slowdown that I felt anywhere between playing it on original hardware or the Mister. And how, I mean, for me, how did you get the game to not have any slowdown? Yeah, that was actually the, the most difficult part because um, uh, when you do a shooting game on an 8-bit uh, platform, um, uh, it can struggle to uh, cope with all the collision checks it has to be doing. So um, I very carefully constructed my um, game engine around this very problem to make sure that um, uh, I had no slowdown in this game. I actually split uh, the collision uh, checks. Um, so I had one half uh, checked at the even frames and one half checked at the odd frames. And um, so I could handle it all. And um, 
that uh, was still quite difficult uh, to balance. So in the end, I was uh, actually counting um, CPU cycles uh, and uh, tightening my um, uh, game routines until uh, I hit a point where I had no slowdown at all. It's a, it's impressive. One of my favorite shooters on there is, um, oh my gosh, it's totally eluding me. It's an it's a less right a less a less yeah 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 it's it's something else I've talked but it has a ton of slow it's a beautiful and 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 plays be brilliant brilliantly but I mean there's tons of slowdown and it's you know depending on whether there's too many bullets on the screen but in Flight of the Pigaris I mean I mean part of the mechanic is you can just hold the button down you know, you know, mash the button and you don't have to be pushing it to get all the bullets out. I love that because, because, uh, you know, pushing buttons for five minutes, your, your fingers go, go numb. So I like that mechanic personally as well, but yeah, I, I was super impressed with how, uh, smooth it was. And that, I mean, that was for my first, for my first go till, till I was done. Um, I still couldn't beat the second boss though. Holy cow. I, I, I feel like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a great, person at these shooters but I, I i'm like it doesn't feel like it's super difficult um but for some reason i can't quite can't quite get to him fast enough to kill him oh i haven't managed either maybe you have to kill the first boss quicker then so yep. it gives you more time for the second one yep so i was able to beat uh only once right towards the end uh, earlier this week i was able to beat the two minute um within two minutes and i'm guessing to beat the second boss, you've got to beat the first one with a, you know, have a few extra seconds before that two minutes is up. Does that seem about right? Yeah, you have to play really aggressively. Uh, you know, at the first boss, um, it has um, uh, different kinds of attacks. It has these missiles and it has uh, the, the regular bullets. And um, you can uh, destroy the missiles with your, with your main shot. So you can re literally just stand in front of the boss and uh, um, shoot at it and uh, the missiles will not hurt you. You have to go out of the way if it comes down and rams you. But um, if you play aggressively and you, you keep your uh, double front uh, shot, then it shouldn't be a problem to uh, beat it in the um, time you need. In the two minutes, yeah. And that's one thing we should talk about is, is the with the, you only having one life, I mean, you did not uh, skimp out on <laughs> the power-ups, right? So, you know, that's how you gain your life. So is it is it five power-ups? Yeah, that's an interesting you know? mechanic, that one. Well, I, I just I just found it interesting. I mean, you, you basically um, start off with a single shot, and then you get a, is it a double shot? And may, maybe, maybe go ahead and tell us how it is, Alex, because I want to say you get powered up five times. Yeah, the power-up system is uh, pretty much the same as in most uh, caravan shooters. I think it's very similar to what uh, Superstar Soldier does. Um, and um, it actually starts, it doesn't start at the lowest level. You you can uh, take one hit before you die in Flight of Pigarus. You, okay. you start on, on uh, the, the second um uh, level actually but um yeah i've played a lot of uh caravan shooters in the past and um if you actually uh play them like you're supposed to and you're, you're playing them to score as high as you can in in the uh, time you have then uh, you'll 
restart once uh, you lose a life because you can't beat your high score if if you screw up somewhere in the run. So I thought, why give the player uh, more than one life at all? He will restart if he loses this one. So I decided, yeah, well, he j just gets that one. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. That makes perfect sense. Because, yeah, if you die, you're just going to restart it to beat the high score again, right? That makes perfect sense. And I like how if you get hit, you're only you're only getting knocked down one tier of power up. So it's, you know, it's not like you get hit and then you're back down to, you know, square one. I, it's but and power ups are everywhere. I mean, it felt like they were everywhere. Um, I what I didn't quite figure out from my time and I, I, I would say I put probably I, I kept coming back to I probably put four hours into it, I'd say I, I played it a lot. Um, what came, what came to me was I didn't quite understand, not understand. I just couldn't quite catch what was the best route or what gives me more points. What, you know, were the, the destructible backgrounds, was that giving me more points than, you know, anything else? So that, that was something that, you know, it, it's good because it's going to make me keep going after it and looking and deciding which points is you know, has more. Did you have multiple tiers of points? Uh, yes, um, but um, you should just destroy everything. Um, uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> just destroy <laughs> all. Get don't, it all. Uh, well, the stuff you can destroy in the background is actually important because you can earn more points from that than from actually uh, destroying the the enemy formations. Um, but um, the enemy formations are um, important as well because uh, you should um, uh, destroy them as quickly as possible so you can uh, get more of the special formations. You know, uh, there's this um, uh, infamous ring enemy which, which uh, comes from four sides of the screen and um, uh, then um, uh, joins in the middle and... Uh, uh, well, there's a secret for a bonus if you destroy it in a certain way. And if you destroy the enemy formations uh, quickly, uh, you might just get more of these uh, because the, the, uh, they are uh, in, in multiple points of the um, sequence of enemy formations. So uh, that's um, really a, a tip if you want to score big. And uh, there are also um, two other secrets. Um, I don't know if you found uh, one of the stars yet. Uh, they're hidden in the background and can be discovered um, if you uh, shoot at them. Uh, there are five of those in, in the whole game, uh, two in the first level and three in the uh, second one. And uh, each one you discover uh, gives more points than the last one. So um, if you try and get all five, uh, that will make a good chunk of your score. And uh, there's uh, another secret involving the um, uh, big black uh, enemies uh, with eyes, um, but I'll let you figure that out. Um, if you uh, read through the manual that comes with the download of the game, uh, then uh, there are hints uh, on how to achieve these bonuses. Um, there are um, uh, you know, like uh, riddles, but uh, I think if you have played other caravan shooters, you can figure them out. Okay. I did get a few times I got 1,000 point bonuses and I didn't know how I did them. <laughs> I was like, what happened? Because it's it's a manic shooter. It's it's absolutely brilliant. So um, 
I, I, you know, I, pre- I really appreciate you putting the time into that because I think it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. From my perspective, I, I'm going to chime in from a completely different angle. So I've never played in my life a caravan shooter before. And when I put it on the first time, I just saw two minutes and five, five minutes and I was really like, oh, hang on. And I, and I do love my shooters. I love all the cave shooters. I love the old style R-types. Uh, I like uh, Gradius and I've played loads and I really like them, uh, especially when I go to Arcade Bury. I spend lots of time in uh, the th- on the third floor playing shooters. And I was completely shocked that there was only these two options at the beginning. And I didn't really understand. So I played it anyways. And then I was at a certain point, I got a bit disappointed because, oh, the time, the time ran out. <laughs> I was having fun here. Um, okay. It was only later when my kids came and I asked them to have a go at it as well that I kind of understood the purpose of it. And then obviously, Kit, you explained to me that this is a caravan shooter. I didn't know. And there's loads of them. But when my kids picked the controller up, they had a go and they said, oh, and I said to them, oh, look, you got 1,100 points. Oh, I've got 12,000. And then my daughter, she tried again. Oh, I've got 5,000. And then my, my, my son said, I go again. And then I went again. And it started becoming way more involving, if that makes sense. And we had lots of fun. Uh, and I was kind of pleasantly surprised by the genre. So my initial shock in reality was turned out to be something new I learned and a different way of having fun that I've never had before. So thank you for that. <laughs> you know, I must say that it was also a little bit new for me, this format, to be honest, despite having played probably hundreds of of shooters in my life. But in, in my case, the first time I tried, I had no idea that this was a really hard time limit. I thought that there that there was somewhere a mechanic to unlock more time to go on, like, for example, in old racer games where you have to reach a certain uh, uh, checkpoint and then you get more time and then you can go further. And I, I, I was literally trying to focus on what is it that it's giving me more seconds in this game and didn't understand why there wasn't anything, but uh, so I was. I must say that I was. I was also a little bit confused by by this particular mechanic, but instead, it's it's pretty simple, and uh, it also makes for a nice nice excuse when you have actually only a little time to play. That is very typical for me. So I could literally say, "Hang on, five minutes." <laughs> I play one time, I know exactly how long I'm going to be there. I was also pleasantly surprised from the fluidity and how smooth it is as well. So I've played not many shooters on the Master System, but I've played some other games that are way, way slower than this. So really congratulations and really well done on how smooth it is. But also I was quite favorably staggered on how many different enemies there are. There's flying cows there's bats there's blobs there's like chrysalis things that move around there's a lot of variety that you don't usually get in um in a shooter especially in eight bits the enemies used to repeat or just change color so uh, was that difficult to pull off not exactly i just uh, actually filled the video memory with as many uh, types of enemies uh, as i could think of and um, well i got inspiration from you know everything i've played before and uh, 
some things I have played at the time uh, when I was uh, developing this. So um, I think the green blobs you you talked about and uh, the bats are probably influenced by me playing the two um, Zelda Oracle games on the uh, Game Boy Color at the time I was uh, coding um, uh, Flight of Pigarus. So uh, that stuff just tends to creep in. Okay. That's that's really interesting. Uh, it brings me to one question: Why why a pig and why farm animals mainly, and animals in general? Well, that's that's a longer story, and, and I'm not sure it's a very interesting one, but I'll explain anyway. So, um, I was always uh, interested in doing, um, uh, you know some kind of retro graphics and um, I, I was doing some sprite work here and there and uh, one time I was doing some uh, custom sprites for um, uh, a guy I knew who, who made a um, shooting game for the PC and he had uh, ideas for all these uh, um, crazy um, cameos so so he started including uh, characters from other games like uh, some uh, pokemon or something and uh, he asked me to do a um, version of uh, uh, the um, character michael from the parodius games and that's a flying pig oh. but uh, he uh, did a vertically scrolling game and parodius obviously is a side scrolling one and um, so I, I did this custom sprite for him. And um, just a few weeks later, he scrapped the idea and all the cameos uh, got thrown out. But the idea of this uh, flying pig flying over a, a vertically scrolling landscape, uh, it just stuck in my head. And so when it came um, to me to make my own uh, shoot 'em up game for the Master System, uh, this was the path I chose to go because I thought it was uh, much more fun to design than, uh, you know, uh, spaceships and stuff. Really cool. Uh, I think I would spend another moment so about um, what um, Kit said before. So in regards to that mechanic where you get the power-ups and for me, it it wasn't immediately clear. I I was initially didn't really twig and understand how it worked. But essentially, the power-ups are kind of your lives. So when you go ahead and, and you get more power-ups, the more power-ups you, you get, the more times you can get hit before dying. So I thought this was really, really good idea. You know, I, I don't recall seeing that anyway. Usually in the shoot, in the normal plane shooters, again, I've not never played a caravan shooter before. In the normal shooters, you have all your gear. For example, I played our type today. And you can get more and more weapons, but if you get shot, you die and you lose all your weapons. Instead here, it's like the, um, the, the power-ups the become your, your lives. And I thought that was quite a genius touch. So you've been talking to us about coding and, and I think this, this question maybe we should have asked at the beginning, but uh, we <laughs> didn't. <laughs> what, what's your background? Because you seem like a, a professional coder. Am I wrong? Uh, yes, hey. <laughs> because, because I'm not. Okay. Um, I'm uh, um, awesome. Uh, I'm I'm a graphic designer by trade, you know. And uh, actually, I briefly worked in uh, in some kind of the video game industry back when um, games were made for mo- for mobile phones before smartphones. You know the yeah. the, the Java phones. Yeah, I actually. Uh, 
did some graphics for games uh, professionally back then. And um, I've always been interested in I did, I did my first sprites uh, with Deluxe Paint 3 on the uh, oh, Amiga. Amiga. And uh, that was when I was like 14 or something. I But it never made a career out of it or something. And um, so I originally wanted to team up with a um, uh, friend of mine who was actually a programmer when um, the tools for uh, creating um, games for older systems uh, became better and um, it was actually viable for, for hobbyists like uh, us to do it. And um, yeah, we wanted to try it and uh, he wanted to code it and I uh, agreed to, to do the graphics. And um, uh, shortly after that, he had uh, to, to abandon the idea because he had too much uh, real life stuff uh, that kept him uh, from it. But I, I just didn't want to give up. So I uh, decided, well, then I just learned to code. I um, uh, bought uh, how to program the Z80, uh, you know, the, the old classic um, compendium and uh, started coding uh, in assembly language. And uh, I didn't find it actually so difficult uh, as I expected. So uh, it just went from there. Of course, my first attempts were horrible, but um, I'm a quick learner. We surely are, and I must. I must admit, I'm. I'm quite impressed because, so I, I myself, I have a little bit of background in, in programming, and I can do some JavaScript, PHP, web stuff, but JavaScript, not only web stuff, but, and I was so drawn into making a Commodore sixty four game that I wanted to learn Assembler at a certain point, and I just looked at it and I was just like, oh my god, I'm never going to learn. It, it looks really difficult to me, like really proper difficult. And then I see these amazing pieces of work that you and other people like yourself have the passion to do. And I think, oh, I wish I could have those skills. And, and now you tell me, oh, well, I've just learned it. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, really congratulations, you know, because it takes, um, not the guts is the wrong word, but I mean, a lot of drive a lot of self-drive to be able to get or especially well I, i'm probably my, my my brain isn't what it used to be <laughs> so maybe that contributes a bit but i mean you know it takes a lot to just learn assembler i think they used to teach assembler at my school when i used to go but i would never understood it yeah well i had some background from school i think we coded in pascal or something it, it's it's been a while, but I actually found Assembler uh, much easier to grasp because uh, you, you have much more direct access to everything in your hardware, and uh, I, I always know exactly uh, what I'm doing. And if you if you um, use uh, you know more sophisticated languages, uh, you always have a level of uh, abstraction, and um, I don't know. Maybe that's why I found um, Assembler actually easier. I later learned some uh, C, so I could uh, write little tools to convert data or something for my games. But I found that much more difficult than learning Assembler. <laughs> that's really, really odd for me. Like to hear that. It's just like oh, for me, Assembler is like a, a big mountain that I will probably uh, never, never go over. You said, you mentioned before previously that you were making games, or sorry, if not games, um, graphics for um, 
a phone company. Can you can you reveal what it what company it was? Uh, it doesn't exist anymore. So is it um, Nokia? Uh, no, oh, <laughs> no, right. no. It wasn't a phone company. It was uh, actually an independent developer who sold um, the games then to the um, to the uh, providers and right. Uh, yeah, they yeah. they sold them to their customers then. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to make a connection there, but no, it wasn't there. In Flight of Pigris, did you do a lot of testing? I'm guessing you did. Yes, I did. And I also gave it to, to when I was uh, done with the testing myself, I gave it to a, a couple of uh, people who I knew were shooting game enthusiasts and uh, knew their caravan uh, shooters so uh, they could put it to the test as well. And you, t you said it took you two years to make it and how, how much of that was testing? Ah, I don't know, maybe uh, the last two months or something. Yes. I think from my side, I have exhausted, I have more questions, but I'm going to keep them to the very end because they're more conclusive. I don't know if anyone else has got any other questions. Yeah, I just wanted to say, have you, um, do you I was kind of asking, wondering why you did it on your own. Did you have anybody that you just didn't trust or you're just like, ah, this is just, I want to fulfill it myself, see if I can do it kind of thing. Yeah, I, I just thought it would be fun because I have, total control about everything. Um, I know, for uh, for example, that um, my musical skills on the master system are just okay-ish, but uh, uh, I don't want to team up with someone uh, who can do better than I, because I think um, what I can achieve is good enough, and uh, so it's exactly how I want it to be. So um, I have... One experience, I, I teamed up with another guy uh, to make a game, and I have actually completed all the graphics, but uh, the game got never really completed. And I thought that was quite frustrating. Uh, so I uh, decided to to go solo on my other projects. And uh, I um, think that it's more fun to, to uh, achieve some, something if you uh, do it all on your own. And, um, well... If you fail, you just have yourself to blame. <laughs> Interesting. No, that's that's great. Um, I know the Sega Master System has that FM sound chip. Have you looked at trying to, you know, I mean, I, I am definitely not musical in any stretch. So the fact that you do all of these is, is wildly impressive. But have you looked at trying to make the sound with FM sound? I thought the soundtrack was great, personally. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, well, the... the um normal PSG uh, sound of the master system is a, a bit harsh. It's really hard to, to make it sound good. There are some people who can do really amazing things with it, uh, with it but I'm not one of them. Uh, it's funny you mention FM sound because I've uh, taken an interest in just that and uh, actually my next game will feature FM sound. So I do uh, the same soundtrack twice, one uh, for the PSG and one for the FM uh, chip. And uh, to make that possible, I actually had to, uh, to port over uh, uh, tracker engine for FM sounds from the MSX community because uh, it didn't exist uh, on the master system. Um, and um, yeah, that was fun. And I like the FM sound, actually. It's it's uh, a really nice chip, and it's a shame that it got cut out of the um, 
Western releases of the master system because um, a lot of games actually feature uh, the sound, but uh, few people ever hear it. Yeah, it's one of the few. I, I don't get a chance to do a lot of mods or anything um, like Andy does, but I had my master system modded with the FM sound. And it, I mean, yeah, games just play, once it's there, you plug it in and all of a sudden you have FM sound. It's, it's amazing. The soundtrack, like our type, especially was absolutely stunning. So that's cool. I'm excited to see what you're doing next. Yeah. But I must mention that, uh, um, it wouldn't have been possible, um, uh, to put FM sound into Flight of Pigarus, even if I had known how to do it uh, at that point, because updating uh, the FM channels uh, takes a lot more time than updating the PSG channels, and there's also more of it. And um, you mentioned compiles, um, Elasti, Power Strike before. Uh, you can do a test and uh, play it with uh, PSG sound and then play it with FM sound and you will notice that there's more slowdown with the FM sound activated. Oh, is that right? Now I've, I, like I said, I, that's it. Power strike. I couldn't remember the name, but yes, the, um, I don't, I can't ever say that I've noticed that. That's interesting. I'm going to have to fire that up and try it. Is it use more processing power? Is that the reason? Um, no, it's just, uh, that, uh, you have to, uh, you can only update them, uh, the FM channels, in, in um, certain intervals. And uh, so it just takes longer. And you also have nine uh, FM channels instead of four PSG ones, uh, which you can update immediately. <laughs> so um, uh, you, you have a lot of waiting around, and uh, that will block uh, a lot of CPU time. You could better use elsewhere, especially if you have a busy game uh, like that. Oh, that's awesome. Diego, have you got any any other questions? Well, yeah, but maybe not not so technical. I was I was just going to ask uh, uh, if you have any specific game of the past that was your direct inspiration for this, or if you want, well, you can just tell us tell us what was your favorite shooter ever that you have actually played as a player? Well, my favorite shooter ever is probably uh, R-Type because, um, well, it's close to perfection as far as shooters go, I think. And um, But there are a lot of shooters uh, I, I do like. Um, at the moment, I'm playing um, Nexor on the PC engine and trying to get the one credit clear, but it's not quite there. Um, but if you ask me if, uh, if there was uh, direct inspiration uh, for Flight of Pigarus from other um, caravan shooters, well, uh, Superstar Soldier is uh, like the template for all, for this type of game. So there was some uh, influence from there, but uh, there were actually two um, uh, homebrew caravan shooters uh, that uh, inspired uh, my game more directly. Uh, the first one I already mentioned was um, the NES one, uh, Blade Buster. It's uh, a fairly recent game, actually. And um, I think it was coded by the same guy who later did um, uh, GGLS to 3. And uh, um, 
he uh, does all kinds of uh, proof of concept uh, stuff, but uh, Blade Buster was actually a, 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 um, one that he uh, did as a complete uh, product. And uh, there's uh, another um, one that's called Superstar Shooter on uh, its uh, a game for the PC. And uh, that was a big influence on, on my game as well. In fact, um, if you play it, you will notice that uh, the two bosses in Flight of Pigarus uh, actually started out as parodies of the bosses from Superstar Shooter. Um, but uh, then they became their own thing because uh, I thought it was boring to, to just do uh, a joke that nobody gets. One, one other thing I wanted to mention that um, I didn't realize until after I was kind of done playing it this week, it's it states that this game saves the high score run. So if like, so the, um, the mode that attract mode is playing the actual high score run that you did prior. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, you, you, uh, if you put your, um, little selector pick in, in uh, the title screen on the mode you want to see um, and uh, just wait for, for the title screen to time out, then uh, it will play uh, the highest scoring run for that mode in, uh, as an attract mode. How does it save that? I, I know this is super detailed. I just That's <laughs> impressive. I can't believe that, that, that you can do that. That's amazing. Yeah, you can only do it because it's uh, a caravan shooter uh, with just five minutes of gameplay. Because, um, well, it, technically, uh, Sega um, cartridges can uh, add um, two uh, uh, RAM editions, and uh, very few uh, games uh, use that, but uh, you can put actually... Uh, quite a bit of uh, battery-powered RAM uh, on the card. And um, originally, I just wanted to uh, record a nice-looking attract mode. Uh, so I wrote a routine that recorded my inputs. And um, uh, after I finished that, I, I just realized uh, that I could uh, use this to store full replays because uh, uh, the game is not long enough to really fill one of these RAM banks. <laughs> and uh, so I decided to do just that. No, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a neat thing to be able to like, well, that was my run. Um, my, my last question is, what is your highest score on either, if you remember? <laughs> and who has the highest score? Who's, who's king of the Pigaris? Um, I think... I can't remember my highest score in two minutes mode, but I think my highest score in um, five minutes mode is around 90,000 points. What? But uh, actually, there are much better players than me. I think the highest scoring one is uh, a guy from a French shooter forum, and he has like 110 maybe 120,000 points he really mugs all of it out and it's amazing to see him uh, play the game and i'm really happy it doesn't break uh, under this high level play because that would have been really awful it can always happen that there's something in your code that you just 
don't anticipate and some player comes and breaks it but apparently uh that's not the case it hasn't broke yet well that's impressive i mean is that kind of neat did you do you know what the full high score could be if you were able to get everything or is that even could that even be a thing i don't even know if that could be a thing so yeah i tried to uh uh, actually calculate it but i could only estimate it and i thought uh well if one is really good he could get to like a hundred thousand points but um i didn't really think uh, anyone could ever get that far but it has has been surpassed so <laughs> that's a, that's that's awesome <laughs> i love that and that that's it for me i really appreciate it thanks for b building it. i think i i'm gonna be playing this one a lot for sure yeah i'm gonna spend another uh, minute just to say appreciate the graphics i mean the title screen for me is beautiful i am a designer so as well and i really really like the retro look of it of this and it is way way striking compared to some other homebrews that i've seen Props, you. you know, for that as well, because it was really beautiful to see. And that's what actually struck my eye when I saw it. I know it's co it's commercially, not commercially released, but I, or yes, because it seems like you, they sell the cartridges as well that are now out of stock. I think there's another bunch, uh, bunch uh, coming up, uh, like in October or something. Okay. Because... Yeah, that's that's when my contract with the publisher <laughs> runs out, and he wants to uh, put out another batch before that. So uh, uh, maybe you should uh, visit his uh, page again and see if you can put in a pre-order or something. Yeah, we'll do that for certain. Uh, I have another question, which is now leading to the to the finale of it. So you were mentioning you made your own game engine, uh, so in order to achieve that incredible smoothness. Do you plan on selling this or making it available for some other developers? Uh, no, it's really just uh, very specifically made uh, for this uh, game and you couldn't easily adapt it to uh, do much else with it. So um, it, it uh, wouldn't work as a general engine for, for other games. Okay, okay. I was hoping then another influx of uh, caravan shooters would have come with your engine and you would have run away millionaire. <laughs> uh, well, um, I think I was going to ask you another question in regards to gaming in general. Clearly, for me, and I might be wrong again, you seem to me like you've been a huge gamer. And I was going to ask you, what do you think about modern games? In general, it's a very broad question. I don't expect you to answer in detail. I, I, it's just a bit of a, an idea. Yeah, well, um, you're not wrong this time. I'm uh, a huge gamer, but r with not a lot of interest in, in uh, modern games. I ha have like a dozen old systems uh, staying around, and most of them are actually hooked up. Um, and uh, I'm actually playing uh, uh, quite some new games too, but uh, they tend to be uh, short arcadey games uh, that uh, really are just modern versions of old games. So um, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just feel I don't uh, have the time anymore to think like. 100 hours into some epic rpg or something um uh 
I like it more to to have a short burst of uh, pure gameplay. So I either play something old or something new that plays like something old. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, and I think my last question is, if you had to advise another new game for an old platform, uh, what would it be? And before you answer, <laughs> I already am very, I am very aware of NES Blade Buster and Superstar Soldier and Superstar Shooter, which I will already check out. Um, so what what would I recommend for an uh, for another episode, for example? Uh, oh, that's uh, a difficult question. Uh, actually, I don't really follow the um, homebrew scene a lot, uh, so I uh, wouldn't know what to recommend. Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. I cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. No worries. Um, okay, so. Um, I did have another question, but it just it just blanked my mind. Um, well, maybe yes. I can ask you. I, oh, hang on, hang on. Before I forget, what is you, what is your next game? Uh, my next game, um, yeah, I wanted to do something uh, more relaxing because uh, development of uh, Flight of Pigarus got a little stressful in the end, you know, with uh, getting it uh, not to slow down. So I decided I wanted to uh, do a simpler game uh, that's more relaxed to play and more relaxed to develop maybe something um, people can play with their kids and um, i uh, actually wanted to make a remake of uh, the old uh, home computer game mermaid madness and um, i don't know if you remember that one i uh, did remember it and i uh, thought it was a great game and then i'll uh, played it to familiarize myself with it again and found out it wasn't good at all because uh, I liked it as a kid, but it's a terrible game. So uh, I just uh, decided to uh, keep the uh, backstory and uh, build a whole new game around it. So my next game will be about a chubby mermaid who uh, saves a reckless diver and it will be a flip screen action adventure kind of thing. Oh, that's great. I hope you let us know. I'll obviously keep an eye out, but if um, I really want to have a look at it as well when it's ready. Yeah, it will be uh, quite some time until it's ready. I found myself having less and less time to uh, do a lot of stuff. So um, I've been working on it on and off like forever, and it will probably go on that way uh, for quite a while. But uh, I think it will be ready somewhere <laughs> somewhere so we'll be here to, to to look at it well i was pretty much going to ask what you have in the works for the future but um, as a side question to that is uh, do you think you would be eventually interested in developing games also for other platforms at some point or would you rather stick with your sega master system yeah, I've, I have thought about it, but um, I'm so familiar with the master system uh, now that I feel like I can really achieve uh, stuff on it. Um, if I look back at code from my earlier games, then I uh, cringe a bit, but um, I think I'm now in a pretty good position to uh, 
make some nice things on it. So um, if I switch to another platform, I would have to relearn it all again. And I don't know if I have the strength for that anymore. So um, I leave that to others who can um, excel in it. All right. So if uh, that is it, I think then we'll wrap it up. Thanks for um, for being here, um, Alex, Mark. It was great to have you here. And if you want to play along with us for the next game, it's going to be Rat Catcher on the Atari 52000. Is that right? No. Sorry, guys. I'll have to redo this. <laughs> <laughs> You're good, man. Oh, my God. If you want to play along with us for the next game, it's going to be Rat Catcher on the Atari 5200. Uh, we'll be delighted if you want to play with us. And if you want to send us your contributions, you can do so by sending them on Discord or on our server. Or if you are a listener of Retro Asylum, which you should be, you can find us on their Discord server as well in our channel. You can also write to us any questions or post your contributions to an email address, which is game at newgameofflame.com. And be sure to send us your contributions at least one week before the show airs. I think that's it. Um, guys, it's been a pleasure. I hope to hear you soon, Alex, with your new creation. And Kit, you're always welcome to aboard. Um, I think until next time, guys, stay safe and have a lovely night. It's 11 o'clock in the UK and I'm going to go to bed. Bye. 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 Bye-bye.